Welcome to the weekly podcast, dear listener. I'm in the weekly office. This week's show is packed full of goodies. Christine Hope and myself head off for Windsor Castle to be introduced to the Queen. And we've also got the follow-up of Farmer Phil's HLS application. So FWAG are back to present their ideas of how the farm can go into the higher level stewardship scheme and benefit from some government payment while at the same time benefiting wildlife and also all sorts of things in our local environment. So uh, we'll be talking to them in a while. But first of all, here's the first bit of Christine and I heading off for Windsor Castle. Okay, we're just approaching the Great Park. Miss Hope and myself are looking for the sign that says Point B function this way and it looks like it's here it's here oh yeah, ahead of us we can see Windsor Castle with the flag flying <laughs> um we've been a bit excited we've got our best frocks on Miss Hope is in Ishikaki is something it? like that yes. yes and I'm in Bohemian or whatever that is but they both seem to be black outfits yes and um looking pretty good, aren't we? Well, well, to be I honest, think so. I think you've seen me a lot, lot worse. Have. I think so too. I'm hoping for the Dame Hood tonight. <laughs> Dame Gorin and Dame Hope Chatter. Um, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. We're just approaching the policeman, dear listener, so if you could be quiet. Obviously, I know you can't speak. But if you could be quiet so that nobody knows we're recording, that would be appreciated. I tell you what, there's a fair few four-wheel drives and everyone else has actually cleaned their vehicle except us. But it's nice to share a bit of Herefordshire soil with these townies, isn't it? So we're starting the engine again. The policemen have finally let us go forward. We're going through now some metal gates. The gentleman with the um, armed <gasps> gun is his face. Balaclava. Balaclava covering his face so we Who can't see evening? him. This is proper high security. <laughs> and as you can tell by my voice, <laughs> it's like, oh my oh. goody gosh. Hang on. Just like everyone else, we're just about to go through a pothole though. <laughs> it's like and water. Farm. We're just about to be parked. Here we go. The gentleman's going to indicate to us now. Oh my goodness! Look at him. He's got yeah. a flashing fluorescent and V vest. Oh, it's a bit Christmassy, I can tell you. It looks like it's courtesy of the AA as well. There we are. And on time, Miss Hope. <sighs> looks like there's a long walk in our high heels. So, Christine, we're now on the bus and we're just making our way up to... Well, we're actually going nowhere, um, but you can tell there's a lot of country folk in the area because, first of all, there's a lot of tweed. And we've met Andy from Farmstay. And what was your name? Johnny Webb. Um, so, what I want to know about is Farmstay. Right, we have 1,200 bed and breakfast and cottages across working farms all over the UK. And we're a farmers' cooperative. And if we help farmers survive... 
survive and diversify into the accommodation sector. So are you a travel agent? No, I don't sell anything. All the bookings are done direct with the farmers and I have the luxury of marketing them, doing PR and representing them at posh events like today or in Italy on Saturday World. A bit jealous by that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to know about how you got on all those Muller yogurt pots with Farm Stay. We got on Muller by putting ourselves out into the sort of marketing world so that they know who we are and that when they phone us up to participate in promotions, we have the wherewithal and the now to get involved with these people and I'm touch wood I may be involved with a very well known cordial brand for next summer <gasps> should that come off for another on pack promotion uh, we're on 50,000 packs of lamb British lamb uh, with Ed Blacks and Sainsbury's in the summer so we kind of look out for these kind of opportunities and yet you're sort of a commercial organisation we're not for profits right okay yeah, yeah. we're a farmers cooperative Every member owns a one-pound share, and all the money gets ploughed back into promoting farm holidays. Interesting. Now I'm going to come to you, Johnny. So yeah. tell us about your project. Where is it, and what have you uh, done? It's in Crossways, it's just outside Dorset. Yeah. Uh, Dorchester, sorry, in Dorset. Basically, consists of a skate park and multi-use games area, as well as youth shelters and basketball courts and all that. First started probably about four years ago you know the initial get together get what you want then we've had huge problems getting planning permission due to all the the people if you like we've, we've had to go through what was your driver with this are you a skateboarder or well I was a BMXer at the time and then we I met a woman Chris Hallett from Dorset Community Action and she was the main drive behind it if you like and so you've taken this project from having nothing there nothing to there actually achieving it's your there now, yeah. and are you using the facilities I'm not now because I've, I've grown I'd say I've grown out of it to be honest yeah but no every time I've driven past or anything loads of kids up there so it's all worthwhile and why have you been invited to see the Queen tonight I presume because of that but uh, as you said I don't really know just got a letter through the post as it was excited I have to say my mum was more than I but (laughs) oh you're just so cool aren't you I'm just completely excited Andy do you know why you've been invited I assume because the the tourism sector is so important to the rural economy yeah that's a really dull answer isn't it I'm happy with it I'm totally happy with it and if it's really boring I'll just cut it that's fine and and my dad's really my my dad phoned me up and he said you I said what he said I'm going to go Oh, what's his name? Peter. Peter, the thing is, you may not meet the Queen, but you've now had the fame of being on the Wiggly podcast. We're just going through the gate. This is where they used to drop all the um, stones down, I've no doubt. And we're just coming up to the tower. Oh, it's getting quite excited. We're now in the inner circle of Windsor Castle. Do you want to say something really exciting? Yeah. In 
summer, middle of summer last year, I had another invitation, and I was asked to go to Clarence House for dinner, and it turned out it was the lawn, it was the creation of the Prince's Countryside Fund, and there were 16 of us for dinner, and I didn't say a word all night because I was far too embarrassed, and most of the people there probably earned more than farm state turns over as well. <laughs> Matt, the editor-in-chief of the Telegraph. And you. We're just being out to be unloaded and it is a beautiful archway stone with a wooden entrance and the carpet and colours. There's guns to the left and the right being displayed, not in use, just an entrance, so we need to go through. And you, dear listener, are going to be hearing the first ever podcast from inside Windsor Castle because my dear colleague, Ms Hope, has got us permission to podcast from within the inner sanctum. So, Ms Hope, we just had our photo taken inside Windsor Castle. Yes. And we're just watching people arrive coming up the stairs. So far, I've seen Jane King. Yeah, Farmer's Editor Weekly. Of Farmer's Weekly. I've seen Ben Fogel. We have indeed. To start, I can just spot Teresa Wickham. Oh my goodness me. Yes, in, and they're all in their finery. We've also seen... Um, Campbell Tweed. And Penelope Bossom. Yeah. No one knows why they're here. Could you take a moment and describe our surroundings? Okay, I think, first of all, you're going to have to all realise that I'm slightly shaking. We've come through the front entrance. It's carpeted stone staircases. The detail and the archways and the decoration are just superb. You know, you've got velvet hand rails coming up by the side. And we're at literally at a balcony point before you go through to the main entrance. And already my chin has hit the floor more than once. There are armoured suits here, polished to perfection, with velvet boots underneath, which is what you don't normally see and then the entrance and stairways you come up at the top before our pictures were taken are two metal sculptured horses with armoured knights on top facing each other in different colours of red and green looking as though they're about to do battle and really the splendour and attention to detail and immaculate nature is just a little bit out of my league head I, I don't know about you I mean, there's height, there's space, there's exactly what you expect of shiny metal armors. But there is one big difference for me. I would expect it to be freezing. This is definitely <laughs> heated somehow. It's warm, it's cosy. It is absolutely glorious. I like the people watching. So we're looking over the balcony and spying on all the people coming up the stairs. They're all dressed in their finery. So the women mostly... Well, they mostly seem to be in silk suits. And very smart. Very smart indeed. We've just cheekily asked if we can do a recording a little bit further in, but it really is out of the question. But we are going to try and push our luck for you, just so we can describe what's further on. We haven't even got our badges yet. The fact that we can record, as you know, is pretty fantastic. I think everyone would really like to know why they've come. Obviously, the common ground is the fact that people are all from rural communities. We can tell that. Oh, coming up here now, I know him. That's uh, Howard Peck. Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness me. Do you know why you're here, Mr Peck? No, we don't know why we're here either. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. We'll enjoy ourselves. (laughs) 
<laughs> I feel like we are literally on the red carpet. Yeah, absolutely right. There's some more coming up now. They're cleaning their glasses. They're preparing the way. Should we go on in? I think we should. Come with us, dear listener. <laughs> I don't know how to tell you the surroundings, the pictures, the history, the hall, the fire, uh, I the mean, reclamation. I mean, the fact <laughs> that it wasn't that we were at a do with the Queen, we were presented to the Queen. For those of you that have ever been at a do with the Queen before, the thing that happened was. This card with your name goes to her left-hand side. You get presented, and they say, Christine Hope, it's a long time. It goes Heather Gorringe, Wiggly Wigglers. It goes behind the Queen, passed to somebody else who repeats it to the Duke of Edinburgh. And the Queen talks to you. She shakes your hand, personally shakes your hand. You curtsy in a jumpy kind of humble way. Well, you just don't know what the hell to do. do. It's the Queen! It's the Queen. And the Duke of Edinburgh actually said to me, Wiggly Wigglers, watch that. <laughs> and I said, well, sir, you have been in my room bin previously. Yeah. And then we go through to reception, and in the room is Princess Anne, 
Martin Clunes. I didn't get to see him, Ev. Adam Henson, who came and spoke to us. Caroline Spellman. John Craven. Winfred Emmanuel. The Black Farmer. Yep. Um, ben Fogel. Ben Fogel. Clarissa Dixon. Clarissa Dixon Wright. Then we had Sue Prince, board member for Advantage West Midland. Rachel Detain. Then we had, um, who else? Um, Stuart um, Burgess, Burgess, the Royal Advocate. Advocate. How dare they not keep the Commission for Rural Communities? But that Barrow, is another yes. story. And then, who else did we see? Um, oh, I met the president of the Ulster Young Farmers, who I'd met at Oxford Farming Conference, who I'd met at Estonia on the Rural Youth Rally, and he was personally presented to the Queen with Ben Fogel and Martin Clunes. And they had just said that it was an honour to be in his lineup. He was in theirs. It was all just lovely, nice, representative of rural people. Turns there was out, no egos. No, no egos. Turns out that the reason that we were there was because the Duke of Edinburgh decided at one point or another that it would be a good idea for people that were rural movers and shakers, shakers yeah. got together and had a chat. And so that's what happened. And if anyone ever says anything about the Duke of Edinburgh in front of me again, I'm going to just say, hang on, just one minute guy's a genius absolutely and also lastly where did he get that suntan that was a good suntan (laughs) I'm I'm sure that we've gone on too much but just to say I hope you feel dear listener that you've been with us on this trip I hope you know that if we have gone on too much it's just because it's really quite humbling to be part of something special. But I'd just like you to know, dear listener, that if you're bored by this podcast, sorry, but it is a huge honour for two women from rural Herefordshire that own very small businesses without wishing to be anyway putting us down. Teeny weeny. Teeny weeny companies to be part of that event was something raving special. And Christine, I can't think of anyone I'd rather share the moment with. High five. Oh, have I'm getting a bit emotional now. I know, we'll end it here because we'll just cut off. Michael cut this out anyway. Bye from us. Well, it's all back down to earth. I've been and fed the chickens now and I'm just going to go into the kitchen and find Will and Caroline and Farmer Phil all discussing entry to the HLS scheme to see if we can compete with other farmers to get in the higher level scheme. So, dear Wiggly listener, we are in at the Wiggly kitchen table and I'm joined by Will from Flag and Caroline from Flag and Farmerfield, of course. And you may recall the edition where we recorded the Flag AGM with all the uh, trustees and Chloe, etc. And now we're on the ground finding out what advice these folks have after all these years of Farmerfield hanging out against ELS, HLS, all the stuff, the moment has come. Caroline, what are your thoughts on this HLS campaign? Well, I think Lower Blakemere Farm's going to make a really good high-level stewardship scheme. There's loads of potential. We've just been talking about some of the historical sites on the farm, part of a field where 
the Romans used to have wild parties and eating cows and drinking from large vessels and <laughs> things like that. All sorts of bones have been found there. And Do you think they dropped dead at the party? I don't, <laughs> don't know. We don't know, what, we don't know what they drank, do we? So... <laughs> So that's a, that's a very exciting site. And then on the drinking theme, there's the remains of an old cider house on the top, halfway up Stockley Hill, isn't it, yeah. Halfway yeah. up Stockley Hill. And that's another uh, place where, which we've um, wheels included in the survey. What other archaeological sites have you found when you've been going around? Nothing quite as interesting as, as those two. There's been some very difficult to see crop markings and a few quarries. You can still see Outlines of those. Yeah, and then there's the lime kiln, of course, on the farm, isn't it? Which is on the edge of the edge of the woodland above the farm. Can you just explain why HLS will make any difference to these features? Because we know those features yes. were there, yeah, and they are there, and that's that. So why does HLS make any difference to that? I suppose partly with, as you say, they're there and they've been recorded, and the records have come up with them. Uh, Phil's got a couple of extra places that haven't been recorded, which have come forward as well. And then the scheme encourages, for example, particularly like the Roman site, if there was ever any ploughing in there, it could actually disrupt the, the remains. So the scheme is important in the, in the higher level scheme. Um, there are payments for managing that, that area of the farm in such a way that uh, ploughing would be, would be minimised to preserve the features. So it won't look any different on the surface, but there's some financial reward for keeping that feature for posterity. So it may be, um, you know, the interpretation of it and the understanding of exactly how, whether they really were Romans or was it from an even earlier time than that, was it has, how long has it been a ceremonial site for? As that research goes on over the years, then if it's guaranteed to stay as grassland, then that seemed to be a great benefit for the the archaeologists and for understanding of the history. And you found wildlife and habitats that we should include in our HLS application? Oh yes, I've just been discussing sort of with Caroline what options would need to best preserve those but um, there's been certainly some interesting areas. You've got a sort of field that at first glance is is just a big field of birch but um, when you get down there there is quite a few species and we're going to consider the invertebrates and Phil assures me that he's seen some short-eared owls. Yeah, my short-eared owls were there. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and you found an owl pellet, didn't you? It was I that, did. That was near there. At the bottom of one of the trees. Uh, got a bit excited, but it's a tawny owl, which is one of the more commoner owls. But mm. taking an owl pellet back to the office is always... Yes, we've got them in boxes piled up on the shelf. (laughs) Yummy, yummy. And will these changes improve our habitat for wildlife, do you think? You've already got a good, a big range of crops on the farm and growing things like sunflowers and stuff like that for many years as you have done for your seed mixes. That's always been good for birds, hasn't it? So you've, you've, you've got a lot of those sort of habitats around. But by going into the scheme, you're probably going to have a commitment then to having certain areas of, of other habitat that will be good for birds and for insects. Like we've been talking about having pollen and nectar mixtures and which will have clover and trefoil and sanfoin and things in them. So that would be some of the plants that you would have in your wild flower garden. Yeah. But they'll be grown on a bigger scale and managed so that they flower over a longer period. So Phil's going to have to go out and cut some of them. I think really the summer. idea is to integrate what we've done already and what we're mm. blessed with already and to put a plan in place for, in this case, 10 years as to what we intend to do and to manage what we've got with the help of Caroline and Will advising us so that we don't muck up something either intentionally or inadvertently mm. and 
it basically provides a structure for the public money that we receive for doing that to provably achieve something. Yes, I will get paid more money for it, but yes, I am obliged to do certain things. And what we're doing at the moment is thrashing round the myriad of options. As you can see, we've got a couple of lightweight tomes to read through. Yeah, dear listener, you won't be able to see that, but he's got big books saying things like high-level stewardship on them, and the kitchen table is covered with maps and Will's drawings and things and red lines and marker pens where Farmer Phil is outlining what he's going to do about his river meadows. Well, actually, that what is, are you going to do Will's, about your river meadows? Will's Phil? job description is partly that he has to be very good at colouring, <laughs> which we're very pleased about. <laughs> What river are meadows, you going to well, do about River meadows are the, are the classic thing because they're the very best soil and in our case have been farmed arably for, for as long as anyone can remember. Yes, but I remember um, going down the Wye and seeing potatoes right by the river that had then flood and the whole of the soil was landing in the river right. and I thought to myself, that cannot be right. And no. I also remember seeing cows... Uh, plodding around and pooing in the river and making really big muddy footprints right in the edge of the river. And I remember thinking, that cannot be right. And that is precisely what this sort of scheme is aimed to reduce because they want you at the very least to manage the buffer strip, if you like, where farming meets the river or farming meets the wildlife. And in our case, because it's very valuable land, what we're devising is a means of linking up and linking the buffer strip, linking the habitat that we've created with existing habitat and other things, whilst leaving the middle of the field for us to farm, because, put bluntly, it's too valuable not to. There may be some issue over this, but at the end of the day, there has to be some financial consideration versus what's going on, and at the moment... It's not as good as it could be, hence the reason that we're, we're talking about it. But there will be a certain amount of horse trading, by the sound of it, as to what we can achieve. So, Caroline, it's your job to find the balance between the farmer needing to grow the crops to make the money and the habitat needing to be protected, because it does need to be protected, and the government, who are only willing to give the DOSH for rewards that you know give the best benefit to the environment. Are you a sort of middle negotiating squeeze? Yes. Person? Well, we don't necessarily always get involved in negotiating because that's often that that stage. The farmer will, will, will be talking to Natural England about exactly what the scheme's going to include. But having done the survey and found all these archaeological sites and, and the good bits of habitat on the farm, so the fields with real potential for insects and the area where the sniper overwintering down by the river and all that sort of thing, then really our role is to try and devise the, the scheme that. A farmer feels they can work with uh, is going to bring them the sort of income that they're hoping to get out of the scheme, fits in with their farming system and still makes the most of the potential for, for wildlife on, on the farm. Also, crucially, that we think is going to get in because this is a competitive scheme and uh, looks a little bit different now than it did last year, didn't it, before the, before the comprehensive... Well, well, earlier this so year, before the comprehensive spending review. So, so seriously, is there like, we've got enough money for 100 schemes? Yes, and absolutely. And since the comprehensive spending review, unfortunately, the, the budget for, uh, for high-level stewardship, is, it's, it's going to grow. The headlines in the news have said how much it's going to grow by in the next three years, but it's not going to grow by the amount that, that had originally been intended. So effectively, there is, is, has been a, a cut. And so we're just trying to make sure that the field scheme is, going, is still going to be competitive. 
Now, you've been a flag advisor for many years. How do you see the difference that flag is making on the ground? Can you tell the farms that have had a flag influence? You know, has it really delivered wildlife benefit? Definitely, obviously. I wouldn't wouldn't be a flag advisor otherwise. Uh, But I have to say that some of the farms that have the best, some of the best wildlife habitat are not necessarily in a a stewardship scheme. They may or may not be flag members. Some people are doing fantastic jobs for wildlife independently and instinctively they know the best thing to do. You know, they may be using traditional farming methods that still allow lapwing and curlew to breed in small numbers in parts of Herefordshire, say, or, or they may have tried something new that they've heard about. Uh, one of the new ways of, of trying to encourage those birds to breed, say. And some people carry on, have the most fantastic wildflower meadows. They don't need any extra advice. They're, they're, they, you know, they, they've done very well independently. Yeah. But a lot of people use our advice then to, to make the improvements, make changes in management and for restoration projects. There are some fantastic results that have been achieved by that, either with or without environmental stewardship funding. So I wouldn't be doing the job if I didn't think that a proportion of the advice we give gets acted on. Uh, having said that, I think, you know, I've been doing the job for over 10 years now and there are still farmers who ring me back saying, oh, you remember you came to visit me, um, would you come back now? I think I'm about ready to, to take up some of those ideas. So it takes a while. <laughs> and if you're only a flag advisor for a couple of years, then I don't think you stand a chance of, of seeing things through. Um, I think that's a bit harsh of you to look at me when you said 10 that. years. No, I'm looking at you, I'm looking at you as well. I didn't come to you when I was a new flag advisor. Did I? Was, was Mike came. Mike. On his first yeah. day. Well, that's 15 years yeah. ago. 20 years ago. <laughs> his first visit was yeah. to us some well, eons ago. Yeah. Now, tell us about these snipe, because I don't know anything about snipe. So, have we got them nesting, and what do I, they need? I don't know if they're nesting, because they make this fantastic, characteristic drumming sound in the spring, and people in Preston, well, I haven't heard that for quite a number of years. They're nesting, I, I think, only up in the north of England, probably now. But the wetlands of Herefordshire provide fantastic overwintering ground, so you will often put snipe up when you're walking in the winter through um, wet areas, and that is fantastic habitat, and I think you've got good numbers down there, haven't you? Yeah, they're large, and they love grass seed crops next to the wet areas. Yes. Because they'll live in those quite happily yes. over the winter. They're the sort of birds that you can walk very close to before, they, before you put them up. So they're only visible to those who walk normally with a dog, right through the middle of the patch. <laughs> Otherwise, they'll just hide away and wait till you're virtually on top of them before they take off. And did I hear, Will, you said that you've seen our Herefordshire's county bird, the Yellowhammer? Yeah, I, I did, in some of your southern fields. It wasn't so happy to see me, it shot off, but... <laughs> I think I may have even seen a couple. I mean, now's not the best time, you can't really hear them, they're not singing, but uh, they're still very distinctive in colour. Mm. just remembered, actually, last time I was here, I was so crashed into a kestrel as it shot past my car so yeah it's definitely bird life is good here. and you're a new flag advisor very new yes how's uh, it going what what's what's uh, attracted you to the job except I... the phenomenal payments of course <laughs> <laughs> i left university decided that i wanted to work outside and with not much else in mind than that, um, I decided the environmental sector was, was where I should be. And um, I saw this job and it sort of encompassed everything that I was after. I was working with wildlife, helping out conservation, being outside and doing a lot of colouring in. And how have you got on with the farmers? Because, of course, part of this is having to deal with the uh, farmers that are going to try and put this into operation. So how have you got on with them? It's good. It's a new perspective, which... 
obviously didn't have before. I didn't have the sort of blessing of a farming background, so rapidly trying to get as much information and trying to get their sort of take on it. Dealing with these schemes has been really good because obviously, from my angle, I was just thinking about wildlife, but you've got to incorporate the farming practices. It's a constant compromise and a battleground to begin with until you get a ceasefire and you get a good scheme up. Yeah. Well, thank you both very much for coming. I hope you get Farmerfield's scheme in that pot that are successful. And if not, we'll re-interview you at the end of the year. (laughs) No pressure. Thank you very much. Now then, if you want to listen to next week's show, you must go to iTunes or Wiggly Wiggler's podcast and download them. And if you'd like to join up to our e-news, I suggest you do it now because we've got lots and lots of Christmas subscriber offers. And you can get them all by joining our e-news at wigglywigglers.co.uk and check out our new homepage. It's rocking and it's rolling. It's bye from me from Wiggly Wigglers and bye from everyone else in the office. Goodbye!